All right, the 11 Dubcast, we are back. It is, it's Blackout Week. I'm really excited. I'm Johnny Ginner. I'm Michael Citro, and I'm fucking black. <laughs> uh, I hit the stack. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm glad, glad to, to be, be back. back. Yeah. I got loose from the news. That's kept me hanging around. And so um, on. Yeah, and so on, and, which is a very good album. I, I very much, in fact, I have a, I have a, gym shirt that is actually just uh it says back in black and it's got a cannon on it so i think it's pretty cool sweet um yeah it's 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 penn state week everyone's real excited because we're all gonna wear black and we're not gonna complain about it we're not gonna say it's no traditional we're just gonna have a good time and it's gonna be fun and that's it and it's gonna be great i'm very excited michael <laughs> you sound angry you don't sound excited well, I'm I'm uh, I'm like death metal excited, which is just sounds angry. So I'm actually excited. Okay, so darkness imprisoning me. Like heavy me. metal excited. So I'm like, yeah. So darkness imprisoning me. All that I see, absolute horror. I cannot <laughs> yeah. live. I cannot die. <laughs> That's right. Let's just I'm gonna let's just continue to quote heavy metal songs, and then I'm eventually gonna get into like Evanescence. <laughs> All right. And then. I can't. I don't know that I can do that lady's voice, but I can try. I can try to replicate it. If you could, you would probably be able to make money from it. I bet I could. Um, so anyway, let's let's talk about Ohio State a little bit. Okay. They they beat Maryland. They did not cover the spread, as I correctly predicted. Yes. And well, you know, they scored forty nine points. So everybody's like, okay, maybe they've turned a corner. Blah blah blah. I still think there's definitely some growing pains to work out. The one thing that I really want to talk about, I don't want to get into like the, the super nuts and bolts of this particular matchup because, frankly, it was it was another crappy team that they basically slept walk through. But I don't know whether to be like really annoyed or really kind of glad that the two quarterback system worked with JT Barrett doing red zone duty. I thought that was like basically a joke from Urban Meyer. <laughs> I did not think it was actually something he was going to do, and then he did it. And it worked, and I don't know how to feel about it. So, Michael, you need to tell me how to feel about it. I feel great about it because here's the thing. Okay. Either JT Barrett – he found a way to get JT Barrett on the field without replacing his starter, his chosen child, right? Yeah. So he gets to win that. JT gets to win because he gets to play more. And Cardale gets to win because he gets to remain the starter and not get benched. So I I shouldn't feel worried about – Cardell Jones getting upset, or JT Barrett being out of rhythm, and this no. only working one game. No, because here, here's the other part of that. What if this was all because it was Maryland, an immaculate troll job by <laughs> by Urban Meyer, and we never see it again? Yeah, uh, I okay. Just to I make down, Penn, that, make, you know hilarious. making James Franklin have to prepare for this. Like, okay, when they get in the red zone, they're gonna bring in JT Barrett. This is what we got to do. And then they get out there, and it's like <laughs> you didn't bring in JT Barrett. <laughs> If that's what we need to beat Penn State this year, I think we've got a lot bigger problems. But that could be. I mean, honestly, that that is something that could be a possibility. You know, I'm just kind of glad that Ezekiel Elliott got to the 100-yard barrier, you know, that, that, that level at which he needs to keep going mm-hmm. to keep a streak alive. And I'm glad that they scored all those points. The defense, you know, they had trouble with the mobile quarterback. That's something that you see out of defenses occasionally, especially when you haven't seen that type of quarterback or maybe even prepared for that type of quarterback during the season. I think that might add to it. There's still things to improve on. I think they're going to perform 
markedly better under the lights at night at home against a an opponent like Penn State, who even though you know Penn State is not what we would call a marquee opponent anymore, or at least this season, I still think that's a game they're going to get up for. So for me personally, like again, there's a lot to work on, but I'm not like. I don't think I'm wringing my hands as much as I was the previous week, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, for me, this week was a a big positive step for the offense, um, potentially a big negative step for the defense. Uh, But Christian Hackenberg's not going to carve them up running the football like, uh, you know, like Hills did for for Maryland. And quite frankly, I think it's probable that they prepared for Caleb Rowe all week and, <laughs> right. and yeah. it was like no, okay I, um and um, I'm encouraged by the offense again the defense has some things that needs to clean up but I think this is a defense that will show up when it has to and also I think this is an opponent that the team will look back on last year and go we had to go to overtime double overtime last year to beat them right let's uh let's maybe get up a little bit for them so I think they're going to come out ready to go they'll be fired up the kids get to wear their black unis. Yay! Ooh. And Yay. um and you know Good. on on uh you know on TV it'll probably just look like the horseshoe is exceptionally poorly lit. <laughs> you know? Which is also cool. <laughs> Which is also cool. Yeah. So I I'm ready for this. It's gonna be great. This was a week that um I would have typically been up in Columbus for the game and I had planned to be there for this because it was originally going to be our Dubgate weekend if not right. for the new city ordinance that screwed everything up. And then yes. it was like, I got all excited about it and went, oh, yeah, that's my wife's birthday. <laughs> I can't go to Columbus and abandon her with our child. That's uh, unfortunate. Yeah, so I, so I, I, I guess – actually, I have no – I really am not like a black T-shirt guy, so I don't have like a lot of black T-shirts, so at least I don't have to you know, go buy a shirt or anything because I was going to just wear my – my lucky uh, Laren- Laurenitis jersey, which I normally do, and everybody go, oh, look at the old fart wearing the scarlet on blackout night. What's wrong with That's you? That's right. Yeah, exactly. What would be wrong with you? Uh, that would be stupid because it's blackout night, nothing and why would you wear wrong, anything black? Nothing's wrong with me. As long as you stay the hell off my lawn, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can remain on your lawn in Florida. Meanwhile, I'll be in Columbus, Ohio, wearing black in the stadium and having a good time because it's going to be yeah. fun as hell. And it's going to, like, I just want to make the horseshoe a black hole of misery and pain. I want it to look poorly lit. I want it to look, like, dreary and dead. I want it to be a disgusting, claustrophobic, fun house, like, haunted house for uh, the entire Penn State football team. I want to make them miserable. I basically, I want to, I'm going to listen to, like, death metal all day. I am going to paint my fingernails black. I'm going to listen to Screamo, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to make it just as miserable and dark and dank as possible on a cold October night, and it's going to be sweet. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I just want to the, – the cold, black, dark pit in my heart, I want to express with 100,000 other people in a giant stage. Johnny I'm Ginter, more like Johnny Gothter. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And I'm look, I'm super excited for this game. I just – Again, not because of the opponent so much. I think the blackout is a awesome idea. I don't care that Gene Smith refuses to acknowledge that that's what we're doing. I don't know why he refuses to acknowledge that. You're probably on his lawn too, Johnny. That's probably fine. That's probably what I don't it is. care. But I'm, and, I'm and maybe like, that's it. And maybe that's it. Maybe he is yeah. upset at the fact that they're doing it. Period. But frankly, like I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And, and seriously, 
especially given the way the crowd was in Maryland, where everybody's kind of sitting their hands and whatever, if there's something to give people an excuse to go nuts, fine. I don't care what it is. I'll wear like a giant pink tutu if that's the theme that we're going with. I just want the horseshoe to be rocking. I think it's going to be a really great time. And I don't know. I, I just I want a big party, especially for the. I mean, again, like you said, we had to scale back the tailgate. We've moved it uh, to um, you know to another venue, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And then, of course, we have. I'm going to miss the gold pan social, and that's my my biggest pet peeve of this. Uh, yeah, that'll, trip. That, that's that's unfortunate because that'll be really fun. The Woody uh, Hayes Athletic Center. If you guys haven't purchased your tickets, you can do that on the website. And, of course, that's to purchase the gold pants for the football team when they beat Michigan every single year, which yep. they will all Still do. a few tickets available, so get those, snap those up, and help support the team and buy those gold pants because Darren Lee needs another pair. Uh, Michael Thomas needs another pair. That's right. Uh, Braxton Miller needs one more pair. I mean, let's get those guys some more gold pants. Yeah, and again, you know, like, the whole weekend should be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. I'm sorry you're not going to be there because that means, you know, we can't do maybe a live dubcast or not a live but a recorded dubcast from one of our events although i'm not sure how that would work out at a bar but we'll we'll see how that goes um but i think it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm really excited please for love of god wear black do not be a sad angry contrary just have fun just just enjoy it embrace it even if it's not your thing just embrace it because that's the whole point is to have fun and it will be fun if you allow yourself to have fun just allow just let it wash over you like oh <laughs> like the black death just do it be great. I promise. <laughs> I know you're skeptical, Michael, but I promise it's going to be great. Uh, this is this is the uh, this is the John Ginter of uh, opinion part of this program. Yes. Uh, so anyway, what's up? I said yes. Good. Yes. It, okay. So anyway, I want to talk about some of the wider issues here before we get to ask us anything. One of the things that I want to talk about real briefly, we got two things, two major things that have happened in the coaching world in college football. The first is HBC or OBC. What am I saying? HBC is John Cooper. OBC is the old ball coach. Um, why am I mixing them, my metaphors? Yeah, I think it's confusing because Spurrier goes by both. Uh, some people call him the old ball coach and some call him the head ball coach. And I think it's supposed to be a head ball coach. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he just, he left. Yeah. He just peaced out. He, like in the middle of the year, like, eh, I'm out. That's yeah. dumb. <laughs> Which, in, re in retrospect, is really the way we kind of all knew that he was going to go, I think. Really, it's the only way he could have gone. There was no going to be, there was never going to be some teary-eyed press conference at the end of the year, like, I just can't do it no more. Like, he was clearly just going to go out on his own terms and ride a jet ski off into the sunset. And, and frankly, I salute him. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to, I thought that at the end of the year, there would be some kind of a, you know, oh, he's taking a position in the athletic department, kind of, you're kind of, wink, wink, we're not going to look bad for you kind of thing, because, yeah. you know, it was pretty clear South Carolina needs to move on. It was, they're just not doing anything yeah. the last few couple of years, they're, they're just not where they need to be, and you know, he's a proud dude, and he's a very accomplished dude, and, uh, I mean, four straight SEC titles in the 90s, so um, right. even Saban hasn't pulled that one off. So I think that it was it was one of those things where I thought he was going to get like a, uh, okay, you need to go, but we're going to make it look good kind of thing at the end of this year. And he's like, you know what? I'm not waiting around for that crap. I got golf to play. <laughs> I'm just getting out of here. <laughs> and that's what I respect about him. That's why I enjoy 
Steve Spurrier because he just genuinely doesn't give a crap on so many levels, and it's kind of kind of great. It's endearing. In a in a less maybe funny or optimistic turn, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is out at USC, uh, presumably due to his drinking problems, which is really just it's really sad, mm-hmm. honestly. That that's something that really just depresses me because you know again it's funny to see bad things happen to. USC, but not in that kind of fashion. I mean, that that's really just kind of tragic for Steve and his family and whatnot. I know he's going through a bad divorce right now, so that's probably, you know, adding to that. And it's 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 one of the more bizarre things too, because you don't you know it's 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 weird to see a dude get put on administrative leave and then the next day he's fired. Yeah, that you know, was odd. That was that's rough. It was very strange to me. I I, I thought about this a lot, and I thought, you know. You know, the whole thing about his drinking, and they're like, okay, he's going to seek treatment and get help, and that's like, and he's on leave. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's very nice of him because they could have just canned him or whatever. And right. then the next day they do, and I was thinking, well, now, you know, here you just fired a guy who's sick of alcoholism and disease. You fired a sick guy. And then it came yeah. out today that apparently, you know, his drinking was known about, and he was on a zero, uh, a zero tolerance uh, kind of condition and uh, continued to, to behave that way. But, um, you know, and USC is a private school too, so the, the the rules may be a little fuzzier there. But I, I was thinking, at first I was like, "Oh, it was nice of USC," and then I was thinking, "What a bunch of jerks at USC!" And <laughs> now I don't really right. know how to feel about it. But um, you know, I guess the main thing is he needs to get well, and he needs to want yeah. to get well. And uh, if he wants to, he can do it, and that's great because depression is pretty horrible. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had some battles with that. And, you know, when I was in college, I, I had some battles with depression. And it's just, it's just absolutely no fun at all. And it's a terrible thing to go through. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And if, if drinking was getting him through it, um, you know, I understand it. It's obviously not the, you know, the response you want to take, not the healthy choice. But uh, I understand it. And hopefully he'll get the help he needs. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that kind of struck out or stuck out for me with his story is more it, it's less the fact that you know he's suffering obviously from alcoholism and other some other things but I think the thing that stuck out for me more was the fact that you can be and again this is all speculation although the massive drinking tends to lend itself towards alcoholism mm-hmm. but for me it's that you can be a, essentially a functioning alcoholic and do that job like that to me says something about that type of job like what the expectations are and the other things like that uh, the kind of habits that it enforces in a human being that i you know there really is a thin line there for a lot of people and i think some people can handle the pressures of that job very gracefully and and they say okay i'm going to do what i need to do but i'm going to stay a sane human being and then sometimes it catches up with people and we saw that with urban meyer when he was at Florida and you've seen that with countless other coaches where they just kind of crack from under the strain. And it's just, it's the psychology of it is very interesting to me. And it's hard to, you know, justify doing that because you don't want to play armchair psychologist. But for me, it's still, I think a really fascinating kind of story and in, in a really sad way, obviously. So yeah, I hope Sark gets the help that he needs and obviously, you know, hopefully he can get back into coaching sooner than later. Yeah. I do think he's a talented coach, but, you know, obviously he's got to take care of this first. He sure does, and you know, it's it's it, like you said, it's it's not funny to what's happening with him. It is kind of funny to see bad things happen to USC. It's not funny. Yeah, it's really it's not funny the way Lane Kiffin getting fired on the tarmac was. <laughs> right, which is which is much much funnier. Yes. I mean, that's 
that's the epitome of what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, so let's do Ask Us Anything. Let's get through this okay. uh, real quick because I do enjoy Ask Us Anything, but we have several great guests tonight. So the first of all, let's, let's talk about how you can ask us anything, Michael. Can you please tell our fine listeners how they can do that? Absolutely. You can hit us up on the Twitters, which nobody did this week, Johnny. Uh, no, they didn't. It, it's at, Fisk, Fisk. at 11dubcast is our Twitter handle. Follow us on Twitter, won't you? At 11dubcast. Spell it out. E-L-E-V-E-N-D-U-B-C-A-S-T. You can also email us. And the way you can do that, you old people that still email people, <laughs> is dubcast at 11warriors.com. All right. Very good. So we have three people who wrote in this week. Uh, Matt from Charlotte is asking us this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Matt Finkus broke down pretty well how a less talented team can bend strategy to get a team like Ohio State some problems. Mm -hmm. Since then, I've started to learn a bit more about strategy and some of the terms, formations, and techniques, which is always a good idea, actually, because I am generally pretty bad at that, and I always feel smart when I read, like, for instance, one of Kyle's com uh, columns. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he says he read Chris Brown's The Essential Smart Football and hit up YouTube for some informative videos, but I was wondering if there's anything else you'd recommend for a football novice trying to go a bit deeper. Thanks, and thanks for a great podcast. Also, he adds a PS, I've given the what what is a sandwich question some thought, and here's what it comes down for me. If I'm at a friend's house and he asks me if I want a sandwich and then offers me a hot dog or taco, I say, that's not a sandwich. I still eat both of them because they're delicious, but my first reaction would be to say that's not what he said. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's an interesting point because I agree. It you know, that would not be someone's first reaction, like, Oh, thank you for the delicious Mexican themed sandwich. <laughs> Why did you hand me a taco? Taco sandwich. Anyway, as what? Taco sandwich. Well, okay. So as per his first question then, Michael, yes. can you recommend any kind of advanced football information or anything like that. Any, any any locales that he can direct himself towards. There is a book, and it's mainly about the NFL, but it also applies to college football, um, same principles. And okay. I, the name of the writer escapes me at the moment, but it's it's called Keep Your Eye Off the Ball. Uh, again, it's a very good book. How counterintuitive. Yeah, it's, it's Keep Your Eye Off the Ball. And it's basically about how you can really tell more about a play from – uh, reading the formations and watching the line play and, oh, and, and, and watching how, like, for example, how the corners and safeties line up before the, the snap and that kind of thing it, right. in personnel groups. And it's all about how you can get a feel for what's going on in the game and what the strategy is by watching those things and watching, like I said, the line play during the play instead of, you know, you sort of watch the quarterback turn around and hand the ball and then you watch the running back and that kind of thing. But you can get a better feel for the game if you if you just watch the trenches and, you know, you can still, out of the peripheral vision, you're still going to see where the ball goes anyway because that's where the camera's going. So it's a really good read and really informative. And so that's one uh, thing. And, again, I can't remember the, the name of the guy who wrote it because I'm old and I have a bad memory. Uh, and also I would say read everything Kyle Jones writes. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he's, he's excellent. Uh, so I actually put together a database, a resource database, before the season started, and I've got like almost, I think I've got over 300 links in there so far, but I also compiled a bunch of football analysis links, and some of the ones that I really like that I found, one is Football Study Hall, that is really good, that breaks down a lot of plays, formations, things like that. Uh, Smart Football, smartfootball.com is really, really great. I think they do a good job of like going through some of these other things and mm -hmm. you know just making things 
simplifying things that for me can be very difficult because I didn't play football in high school or in college or anything like that. So I'm trying to pick up this terminology, I think, as I go, and, and that can be kind of difficult. So a lot of these blogs do a really good job at, you know, helping people understand what they're talking about. Another one is footballperspective.com, which is, I think, really good with uh, the statistics side of it. So those are all really good. I recommend all of them. Bill Connolly's stuff where he does, you know, the advanced stats are really good, although I have some personal uh, misgivings about advanced stat usage in a sport with relatively small sample sizes. But anyway, I, I think all of those are really great, and I would really recommend them to anyone trying to learn more about football. So I think that's pretty good. So the next question that we have here, next questions, I guess, uh, one is from uh, John here, and John says, uh, how do you compare having a specialist quarterback for the red zone to a short yardage back? If I recall correctly, Archie Griffin won two Heisman trophies despite never leading his team in rushing touchdowns. Do you think that's an interesting point he makes there? Yeah, it's interesting. And, I, you know, I remember watching those 70s teams and, like, watching Archie take the ball down inside the 10 and then Pete Johnson, Pete Johnson, Pete Johnson. Right, um, right. And, and uh, yeah, there's there are some similarities here. But I think basically what you want to do if you're a coach is you want to use your player's strengths. And some players have, you know, strengths that are, are more uh, adaptable to the middle of the field and some, you know, work better in the red zone. And I think it's a smart coach that is willing to be flexible and, and use all of those talents and not just say, well, this is our running back. He's going to be the running back all the time. Or this is our, you know, <laughs> Cardale Jones is just going to have to get this right. We're just going to keep beating our heads against the wall until he figures it out. You know, it's just a smart move to to use all of the tools at your disposal. Yeah, I, I agree if that works. Uh, two quarterback systems generally do not work out super well in college football. But, hey, I mean, if it's working, it's working. And I don't have, like, you go with what works. If that's going to get them a much better, I mean, what were they in the red zone last time? Like four for four, five for five, I think, last uh, game? I think they were six for six, including Cardale Jones with a 19-yard touchdown pass to Braxton Miller. So Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so if that's the out. case... Yeah, if that's the case, then screw it. Go for it. And I think maybe that's a pretty apt analogy. I mean, you use who you got. Yeah. Uh, his, ne his next question here is, uh, you know, the movie The Martian just came out. The book's a big hit. Which do you prefer reading, the book first or seeing the movie first? Uh, I think typically I like to read the book first. Um, and yeah. generally what happens is I'll read a book and then like years later they'll make a movie out of it. It's not too often where I'm like, oh, there's a movie coming out and there's a book. What do I do now that I have to do one or the other? You know, I, I don't typically run into that. But if I do, uh, I will go and read the book because um, usually you're going to get a better story and you can sort of put whatever actors you want into it in your in your mind, you know. You kind of you have right. a, a, an idea of what you're what you're going to see and what you're going to do. Here's a good example. Um, I went to see the movie, even though it like I was like thrown off by the casting. I went to see Da Vinci Code. Right mm -hmm. now in the book, the 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 professor here is like this real athletic dude, plays water polo and all this stuff, and like yeah. he's supposed to be this like buff in shape dude, and like sort of maybe on the youngish side of middle age. And then you see Tom Hanks in the movie and you go, this is not him. This is not the guy. <laughs> He's a fantastic actor, but it's not the guy. So yeah. Um, yeah, it could throw you off a little bit, but, but also I've done it the other way around where I've seen a movie and I found out there was a book and I went, Oh, that was a pretty good movie. Let me see what the book is like. And then I've 
you know, almost invariably I like the book better. You know what? So I would actually agree with you on that first part. And the reason why I do is because I don't like – I like being able to, to, in my mind's eye, try to pick, picture something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't necessarily like having seen a movie first and then have it do it for me if I'm going to read the book. So I like to try to formulate things how I think it's supposed to look or seem or feel before I see the movie. Because if I see the movie first, I'm not going to be able to do that for myself. I'm just going to continually think about the actors or the scenarios that I already saw. So I kind of want to read the book first so I can kind of use my own imagination a little bit and have more fun with it rather than have to just think about someone else's interpretation of the material. So I'm a book first guy. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay, so last one here is from Gregory Metz. Uh, first question, Frankenberry versus Count Chocolate, which is better? I think we've had this question before, and uh, my answer is always <laughs> always the same, Frankenberry. I'm a Frankenberry dude, I agree. and that's my that's my thing. I don't like chocolate cereal. I think it's gross. Uh, philosophical question of the week, is listening to Nickelback a form of torture, and if so, is it morally objectionable to use it against our worst enemies? Okay, listening to Nickelback is a, <laughs> is a form of torture if it's just an unpleasant thing to do if you do it if you do it for one song it's unpleasant if you do it for a couple of songs yeah. it's more so it's not really torture until you get just hammered with it over and over and over and right. is it morally objectionable to use it against our worst enemies well it depends on what you think about torture it's like well you know is if you're gonna like prevent a 9-11 hey play the hell out of that nickelback <laughs> you'll get that information Okay, so Nickelback, the Canadian band Nickelback is is on a mission to hunt down Bin Laden on September 10th, 2001, and somewhere outside of a cave in Tora Bora, they're about to take the kill shot, and then, like, their lead singer's cell phone rings, he goes, I like a prince runaway, and then he, then Bin Laden gets the heads up, and he pieces out, and we have to endure years and years and years of horrible misery, because freaking Nickelback screwed it up for all of us. My point is, yes, it is torture. <laughs> and it's not morally objectionable because it is, some things are just justified in certain cases and, and sometimes it's worth torturing people by le- making them listen to Nickelback. Yes. Uh, AKA my students when I'm getting mad at them. So there you go. The end. That's Ask Us Anything. Thank you for writing in the question. <laughs> Joining us tonight, as he does every week during the football season, we are very grateful to have Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Uh, trying to get all the uh, ghosts out of the machine over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like there's <laughs> there's uh, trouble afoot whenever I have to touch or use technology. It doesn't typically turn out very well for me. And uh, I'm editing tonight, so there you go. The question <laughs> yeah, I had for you, Matt. It should turn out well, then. Right. Uh, the question <laughs> I have for you, Matt, is kind of related to something we talked about a little earlier, but I do want you to kind of elaborate on it and maybe give us some insight. I was very, 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 very skeptical of the idea of using two quarterbacks and then having one as like a red zone situation quarterback, but it seemed to work pretty well last game. Did you expect it to work as well as it did? And I guess the other larger question that I have is, why did it work? Because to me, it feels like it shouldn't (laughs) at all. Okay, well, I'll answer that really succinctly, and then I'll elaborate. I don't know, and I don't know. So those would be the two answers to that question. Um, no, I was not expecting it either. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm done trying to figure it out. You know, I mean, we're, we're, you know, six weeks into the season. We went through all of camp. I guess I'm just exhausted. I don't, I don't know. I mean, and, and whatever's working, 
fine by me as long as it works you know let's let's just right. go ahead and, and you know i mean if, if this is what these guys need to to be successful both of them then hey let's let you know let's just roll with it i think that you know i mean there's been a lot of opinions that go back and forth each way um if this continues then it, then you know so be it i mean uh, you know urban has done this before with chris leak and tim tebow maybe he's just you know the the guy who can make this happen i don't know um, it's odd. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I said when JT came in, you know, that first series in the red zone, if he's good enough to to come in at the most crucial point in the game, which is when you get in the red zone and you need to score points, how is he not good enough to start the game and to be the guy? I mean, it's just, it's so confusing. But, uh, you know, about five minutes after I did that on Twitter and I had 70 people were responding to me, I said, you know, I just, I don't get it. And maybe it's just not for us to get. Maybe it's just one of those things. You know, you know, when we talked before the Wisconsin game last year, and you guys asked me how we, were we ever going to stop Melvin Gordon, and I just and, I, and my reply was, I don't know how, but we just always do. We always play well against Wisconsin. We always shut down the running game. I didn't have a scheme for it. I didn't have any explanation for it. It just happens, and maybe this is just one of those things in life that we are not meant to know or be explained, <laughs> and it just happens. I mean, I, I guess I'm hey, just, sarah, I, I've sarah. Re- yeah, I've resigned myself to the fact that uh, you know the. I mean, when you think about it, like I, I guess if we should break it down logically, um, you know, having Cardell and, and his skill set out in the field, uh, where you may want to you know try to take a shot down the field a little bit more. He, you know, he's, he can stand in the pocket. If, if, you, if we can just stop running him on that option that just looks so terrible, other than that, you know, he's not playing bad. You know, I mean, and, and if you give him the, the reps and the, uh, you know, and the looks and practice, I think he's going to – I saw improvement from, from last game to this game. And I hadn't seen that in a long, long time with this football team. I think that you go back to Virginia Tech – and then you, you took a kind of a step back with Hawaii, and we all thought, okay, well, that's tough. It's four days rest or whatever. Then there wasn't a real leap forward for Western Michigan. There wasn't a leap forward for the game after that. There wasn't a leap. So we weren't making any progress. From last week to this week, I saw progress. I mean, and that's the one thing that, it, that was starting to worry me. It wasn't the points on the board. It wasn't the margin of victory. I mean, it's college football. I mean, you, you're, you're not going to blow everybody out and just walk away with the national title. It just doesn't happen. You're going to be in games that you shouldn't be in with lesser opponents, and it's just the way it is. I mean, it's the way that, it, that every team that has ever won a national championship season has pretty much gone. So that wasn't worrying me. But what was worrying me is that I wasn't seeing improvement on the offensive side of the football from week to week to week. And I think that we finally saw that. And, and maybe JT's skill set, when you get down there, you know, he's a little bit more of a running threat. He, 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 he feels more comfortable doing that. He's a little bit faster. And he's, he's a more accurate passer. He may not have the arm strength of Cardell, but he's more accurate. And you need those short, you know, those small windows down in the red zone to be able to complete passes. So maybe this just works, and maybe we're not supposed to be able to know why. <laughs> Matt, the the thing that I liked out of the offense this week is, you know, obviously out of necessity with all the injuries to the wide receivers, Urban mostly kept his best guys on the field, and they all stepped up and produced this week. And that even includes getting, you know, Ezekiel Elliott involved in the passing game, which is something I think that he did so well last year the few times they used it, and I really wanted to see more of it. 
But I think he could be such just a dangerous weapon out of the backfield, catching the ball, and then he won't take as many big shots because he will be out on the perimeter or a few yards downfield and not necessarily going up between the nose tackle and the you know defensive tackle or defensive end. Um, what did you see out of zone six this week? Because I, I thought that they had a big week. I, I even wrote about it. I thought they had a, a really great week, and they sort of helped both quarterbacks along. Yeah, I'll tell you who I thought had a big week, and it was really nice to see him back doing what he worked on all, all spring and all summer was Braxton Miller. You know, I mean, I, I've been kind of begging on the on the pregame show and the postgame show, you know, let's stop putting him at quarterback and running a single-wing offense with Braxton Miller. Let's stop motioning him across and running a jet sweep with him. He's worked trying to be a wide receiver. He's, you know, one of the top three fastest guys on our team. Let's put him out there and run some routes. Let's put him in the slot and match him up against a linebacker or a safety or force them to move one of their starting corners to the inside and put, you know, a, a second string guy or a nickel back out on Michael Thomas. You know, let, let's force their hand a little bit. And they did that again. I mean, and, and that's what they did at Virginia Tech. It was very successful, you know, putting Braxton in the slot, getting him in space and letting him run some routes. He can catch the football. It's just exciting to see him, you know, out there doing that. And, and I think that that's the key. I mean, you've got Jalen Marshall, who, if he stops fumbling, is an explosive player. you got Michael Thomas, who's probably a top, you know, 15 draft pick when, when it's all going to be said and done. And you've got Braxton Miller. You don't need a whole lot else on the outside. Those three guys right there are going give, to give you everything that you need. You throw in the net. You mix in uh, a little bit of... Uh, of, uh, you know, of Dontre Wilson. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Dontre. I just don't think that he contributes, you know, and, and his route running and stuff has not just been up to par for the last three years. But but I think it was encouraging to see guys start to fall into the, those roles and find those roles, you know I mean? And, and I think that we've got, you know, we keep looking for this deep threat. Well, you know, number one can be a deep threat. Just, just you know, put him in the slot and, and stretch the seam or try to work him in the middle of the field against a safety. That's, he's going to win that battle. You know, he might not have the, the wherewithal to go up and make those catches that David, David, or Devin Smith made, but he's going to run flat out run by people in the secondary, and he's going to do it a lot if you line him up in the slot. So I thought the wide receivers had a really good game. I thought they blocked in the perimeter a little bit better, which is really kind of crucial in this offense and maybe why Evan Spencer – was you know such a beloved figure of this coaching staff is because he was basically like having a fullback lining up with a wide receiver and blocking out there for when Ezekiel Elliott breaks the line of contain. So, I mean, th- there was a lot of good things I saw out of there. And, and I think what you're seeing here as well, just across the board, not just in the wide receiver or on the offense, is you're starting to see kind of the experiments, so to speak, come to an end. You know, those guys getting playing time to see if they can be useful on the field. You're starting to see that kind of go away. You know, the defensive line rotation is down to probably, you know, it's not eight guys. It's really six guys now. Um, and so you're starting to, to winnow down, you know, the, the players that are really going to be useful to you when you get into these big tough games here in the Big Ten. When you're, when you're talking Michigan State, when you're talking Michigan you know, Minnesota, the, the, you know, the, the good teams, you know, the, you need your best players on the field. And, and I think you started to see that a little bit last week. So, you know what, let's take a look at the other side of the ball real quick. Ohio State gave up quite a bit of rushing yards, mostly in the form of like quarterback scrambles and whatnot to a mobile quarterback. And the question that I had for you about that was, do you think that's simply a function of maybe not being – prepared for that type of quarterback or do you think that's a problem that's maybe more endemic to the defense as a whole like that's just a problem they're gonna have to deal with 
overall? It's a problem that they're going to have to deal with. I mean, here's the thing about defense. You can't stop everything unless you're playing a really bad team. So, so by right. scheme, you know, what Ohio State is designed to take away is, you know, basically kind of the – the, the tackle-to-tackle run game, uh, you know, with a running back, and more of the short pass, short intermediate passes. They're going to have athleticism help them with the deep ball. If, if someone tries to challenge them deep, we're just going to count on our, our corners and safeties being faster than the other guys and getting back there. And, and this is one of the problems if you're going to play cover four, if you're going to blitz a lot, is that if a quarterback is athletic and he breaks contain, when he does, it's going to be a big play. I mean, and, and that's just kind of one of the things that you have to deal with um, you've got to be able to be okay as a defensive staff, you know, knowing where your weakness is. And if you get hit on that weakness, being okay with that and not trying to overcorrect and overcompensate for the problem. You know, I mean, if, if we're playing cover three and the, you know, and someone continues to hit us over, you know, in, in the hook, in the hook curl. You know, I mean, if someone continues to hit that pass for five, seven yards, you can't just say, okay, well, well you know, we, we've got to do something to stop that. Well, no, you, you call, you're calling a defense and you have a defensive philosophy that's going to allow that to happen. Now, when you get down the field and you, and you change your strategy and you change that up, then you're going to do things to take that away. But Ohio State is, is coming out and they, you know, again, the fans wanted an aggressive, you know, on your toes, you know, ears pinned back defense. Well, that's what they've got. But when you do that, there's going to be, you know, some times where you get caught. I mean, and that's just the reality of it. And when you do it, it normally comes up in a big play. I mean, you're going to have safeties up closer to the line of scrimmage because they've got to cover that quarter of the, of the field. It's not like they can play too deep and come off the hash. So the safeties are going to be closer. That's going to create poor angles when a running back or a quarterback does break the line of scrimmage. And so it's just it's a function of the defense more than it is a function of philosophy or players not doing exactly what they're they're supposed to be doing. Again, you're 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 kind of picking your poison there, and you know, I mean it, it's a it's a situation where are you going to find an elite level quarterback you know all the time? No, probably not. So are you willing to to you know take some chances with that guy, or are you willing to to you know try to make him throw the football? I mean it's. You can only take away so much, and you know. I mean, you go back to Bill Belichick's style of defense. Whatever the defense or whatever that offense does best, that's what that's what you're going to take away. Maryland's, you know, forte wasn't quarterback run. They didn't come into this, and and, and people think, wow, if, if we can just stop that quarterback <laughs> from running the football, it's going to be an okay day for us. You know, right. they, they were a short passing game. They were, uh, you know, an, an edge running team. So you take those things away and you live with what is with what else is out there. And if someone can beat you with their, you know, third or fourth option, then so be it. You can only do so much. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really kind of one of the things that I was wondering about, just because of, you know, there's a lot of hand wringing, right, because of the amount of yardage that was given up and whatnot. And I just, yeah. I do. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of part of it. I agree with you on that. I do think that there's only so much that, you know, a defense can do. So I, I definitely well, you know, agree you with that. Well, you go back to the Western Michigan game where, you know, we were all worried about the, the fullback run. You know, I mean, well, the fullback gashed right. for, you know, seven long runs. What are we going to do? Well, there's no way that Luke Fickle and Chris Ash sat in the meeting room on Tuesday morning preparing a game plan for Western Michigan and said, man, we've got to stop that fullback run of Western <laughs> Michigan. And they throw the ball right. 80 times a game. I mean, that, that's just, it's, it's ludicrous. So if the team is going to try to do that with, you know, we talked about last week about the gimmicky things that, that Ohio State is going to have to be prepared for. If the team is going to try to do that, you just kind of have to live with it. 
Yeah. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this with us. It's it's one of those things where you get in the middle of the season, you're, you're hoping some of the things are fixed, but I do see improvement. And, you know, like you said, if it works, it works. And I think that's what we need to keep rolling with. So thanks for coming on, man. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the big thing now. We're in the second half of the season. We just got to start to get better every single week and, and see where the chips fall at the, in the postseason. That's right. It's still number one, man. That's all that matters. Yep. Still number one. <laughs> I want to be number one in January. I don't want to be number one in October. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. All, all right, guys. Thanks, I appreciate man. it. Yeah, we'll see you. See ya. So joining us tonight, we are very lucky to have our good friend Ben Jones, uh, sports editor for StateCollege.com. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Let's, let's talk about the greatest rivalry in sports. I am really excited to talk about this weekend's matchup with Penn State and just the, the, the vitriol and the hatred between these two groups of teams and, and fan bases and whatnot. Um, you know, this is maybe – I'm going to lead with it. We are going to do a blackout. I would like to have your feelings, Ben Jones, about this attempt uh, from Ohio State to replicate kind of the awesomeness and, and maybe to rub it in the face a little bit of uh, what Penn State likes to do on a regular basis with their whiteout. <laughs> well, I know from my perspective, I mean, it makes a great headline, you know, if right. whether Penn State wins or loses. So, I mean, from that perspective, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I think, uh, you know, that, that rivalry conversation is the sort of thing that comes up, you know, this week every year just about where everyone <laughs> insists that, no, you know, Penn State and Ohio State aren't rivals, or yes, they are, or what have you. But I think there's no doubt that these two programs, um, you know, maybe not right now, they don't have to go through each other the same way that they have the past few years. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, anytime a Big Ten team at the top of the standings traditionally have to go through another one, that's going to be a big week. So I think, you know, if nothing else, uh, you know, it's another chance for Ohio State to show off what it, what it has to offer on national TV, which I think to a certain extent is what you're going for there. I know that's why Penn State did the stripe out uh, against Rutgers. It's not so much that Rutgers is striking the fear of God into anyone. It's more of a you know, – <laughs> Show off what show off what you can do. So I, I, that's sort of how I look at it. Ben, uh, obviously this this team this year didn't get off on a great uh, foot. I'm talking about Penn State, obviously the the first game against Temple with the uh, just basically an offensive line implosion. Has the team obviously the defensive front four has been very good. Has the offensive line because the game's won in the trenches, the old cliche. Has the offensive line come around at all, or has it just been level of competition that has sort of uh, masked an issue that's that's still there? Um, well, I think it's definitely come along. I mean, any time that you give up ten sacks in one game, um, it, it might not matter the level of competition you play if you've got a problem that's <laughs> that's leading to that kind of result. But I, I think that def- that the the line definitely has. And I think you've seen that because teams have tried to exploit, especially the left side of the line where Paris Palmer is in at left tackle, the really that sort of the weak part of the chain, if you will. And I think when you watch it, maybe it isn't always apparent that it's gotten better, especially when Penn State struggles to move the ball at times. But I think ultimately um, anytime that you go from giving up 10 sacks to not giving any up any over a span of two and a half games, I think that kind of thing, shows that you have to be getting better. And there's no doubt that the non-conference schedule isn't the sort of thing that's necessarily going to test you to your limits, but I think there's there's no doubt at all that the the line as a whole has gotten better, uh, especially since the first game. So would you say that from that first game, maybe the line has been the unit that's shown the most improvement overall? Is there another group of players or player individually that's really made some strides in that time? 
Um, that's probably the biggest group or the group that's made the biggest strides rather. I, I think just the fact that they've been able to gel a little bit, give Hackenberg some time in the pocket. And they've been able to run the ball, which is really the sort of thing that you need from your offensive line. I mean, you need that pass protection, but if you're able to get a push up front, get some holes for Akeel Lynch and Saquon Barkley, both of them haven't played since they got hurt, but still the, the point remains the same that they've been able to get that push up front and open up some holes. So I think, Overall, that's probably the unit, like you said, that's that's made the biggest strides since week one. Now, Ben, the, Christian Hackenberg had, had come under a bit of fire uh, from some of the fans, took maybe a step backwards, but obviously offensive line woes contribute to that. But he wasn't able to get the ball to, to Deshaun uh, really a whole lot early in the season. Is that starting to sort of fix itself as the season wears on? Is this, is this team getting more comfortable offensively? Yeah, I mean, I think last week against Indiana, they probably played their best, their most complete game of the year. And you can say, yeah, it's Indiana, but I mean, you guys know as well as anybody that Indiana is a team that's certainly capable of of playing at a higher level. So I think um, they've got that confidence back. And Hack has looked a little bit more to Chris Godwin this year than he's looked to Deshaun. Deshaun's gotten back into the mix a little bit more. Maybe last year's stats were a bit inflated uh, because Penn State's really not tried to throw the ball quite as much as they have in the past years. Hackenberg has been more of a, a game manager, as much as I hate to kind of use that word because it has such negative connotations for whatever reason. But I think he's done a better job sort of just checking into the easier things, getting the screens, getting the runs, and really a lot fewer of those far down the field passes, which you know I think a lot of fans have really called for that. But at the same time, when you're having trouble with protection, uh, you need some time for those plays to develop. And really the, the receivers have had a hard time making separation in the secondary, and they've started to be able to do that a little bit more um, as the year goes along. So I think as those pieces come together, uh, you're definitely going to see Penn State take more shots down the field and feel more comfortable. And, and in turn, you're going to see guys like Hamilton and Godwin and Mike Jasicki and, and different guys out of the backfield have more and more catches to show for it. So looking at the other side of the ball, um, teams have had some success against Ohio State, mixing up their defense a little bit, going with a 3-4 instead of a 4-3. What kind of things do you think James Franklin and company will try to throw at Ohio State defensively to kind of get them off their game a little bit? Um, Well, I think the biggest thing is probably just going to have to try and establish uh, some dominance on the defensive front in the the trenches because, you know, it's sort of a cliche to say that that's where the game is won, but it really is, and I think – uh, between Carl Massive, uh, Anthony Zettel, Austin Johnson, and Garrett Sickles on the other side of the line, those guys have really proven to be one of the best defensive fronts in the nation. You can certainly say the fact that Massive uh, leads the country in sacks and tackles for a loss is sort of a – and four stumbles, or rather I guess he's second for tackles at a loss. But nevertheless, um, he's put up the kind of numbers that have come largely because guys are throwing uh, you know, double teams on Zettel or double teams on Johnson, or, or they've been able to – rotate a lot of guys in. I think that's one of the things that you'll see this weekend at Penn State. Um, they like to go entire drives where they have the second uh, unit defensive line in. Uh, it's one of the things that James Franklin brought up at his press conference today that uh, you look at NASA's numbers and you look at Bosa's numbers and, and NASA has done it in about 100 fewer sacks because, or rather 100 fewer snaps um, this season because they rotate those guys in and out. And whether that pays off in the long run remains to be seen. Certainly you don't like keeping your second team out there uh, in a big game against an offensive line that can clearly push people around. But I think being able to keep guys fresh, being able to get pressure from just about anywhere on the line and relying on a pretty veteran uh, or at least experienced secondary is going to be what they're going to have to do this weekend. 
Ben, what is the the ceiling for this year's Penn State team? Because there's this, there's not a lot of, I guess, national confidence in them. I guess nationwide is not is what we're seeing, like with the with the voters and with what people are talking about. We're not seeing a lot of that confidence, you know, as we we did in years past. Of you know, Penn State sort of always had that reputation, so they usually got the benefit of the doubt. But we're not seeing it as much this year. What do you think this team is actually capable of? Best case scenario. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's in a weird situation here at Penn State because, you know, the sanctions are done and they're gone on paper, but there are a lot of things that Penn State has to work through in terms of getting depth. I mean, even this year is really the first year that Penn State's had in about four years where they have practice depth that's meaningful. They they have a second team and a scout team that are made up of guys that are really going to give their first team guys some challenges in practice. And I think that kind of thing really shows on the field maybe – not so much in the fact that Penn State's now like a super national powerhouse that everyone's terrified of, but I think just making these steps forward from where you're going, where Penn State played Michigan State two years ago with 40-some guys on scholarship that dressed for the game, coming back as a program that's got 60, 70, 80 guys on scholarship that are, that are you know, real threats to make an impact for the program. So I think there's no doubt that, like, people aren't super excited about what the season has to offer in terms of, feeling like Penn State is going to go somewhere where people are going to talk about this for years to come. But I think definitely when you look at the schedule, we've got Maryland. I mean, Penn State is going to play more interim coaches this year than head coaches, it seems like. So <laughs> between between Maryland, Illinois, I mean, maybe you try and get Northwestern because Northwestern's always sort of an anomaly at the end of the year. There's definitely three more wins on this schedule. Maybe you can get Michigan at home if that's Hackenberg's last game. You never know how that's going to go. Um, so I think – you know, it's an eight win is sort of the roof right here. Anything else, something special is going to happen to happen. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, Penn State's winning games and nobody really thought that that was going to happen a few years ago. Well, that's actually kind of what I want to get into a little bit. I mean, James Franklin, it feels like there seems to be kind of a, a love-hate relationship with him, with the fan base a little bit. And, and I think the energy that he brings and the attitude, I think a lot of people wanted in State College, but I also think that maybe the results weren't as immediate as maybe some people were expecting. Where is he in terms of like, I mean, job security, I think is probably a little bit of a stretch, but in terms of the perception of how he's doing, I guess. Um, I think the the biggest thing that he's had to overcome this year is really sort of proving to people that the program is making steps forward on the field, not so much in recruiting. I think the thing that surprised people so much about the Temple loss was not so much the Penn State lost the Temple, but it was just how bad they looked doing it. You know, I told just about right. everyone that, you know, you lose the Temple on a field goal, Temple's really not that bad, and I think they proved that, you know, they're going to prove that against Notre Dame, depending on how that game goes. But you lose the Temple on a field goal, everybody goes, well, that's not ideal. You move on, they win the next five games, and they look okay doing it, and people just sort of have it as a wash. But I think it's been the struggles that they've had at times against Buffalo, the struggles that they've had against San Diego State, the fact that Army, you know, they only beat Army by six points when they're a 20-some point favorite. Uh, I think it's things like that that sort of make people wonder if Franklin and, more importantly, offensive coordinator John Donovan are the guys to sort of turn the ship around. But I think at the same time, this sort of stuff takes a lot of time. You know, Penn State has these recruiting classes where everyone goes, oh, it's going to challenge Urban Meyer and Ohio State and all of that. Penn State brought in a top 25 recruiting class this year and green-lighted four freshmen out of it. So the, the fact that you have these guys on campus, you know, it just takes time to develop them. You're not going to be able to find, you know, 15 Braxton Millers to throw on your field as a freshman. You're going to have to develop these guys and grow them like a normal program. And I think that's what Penn State's facing right now. And I think 
you know, maybe that's a difficult pill to swallow. But at, at the end of the day, you really can't accelerate the process, at least legally. And I think Pensley is trying to avoid getting back into the headlines for anything like that. I haven't seen anyone driving a Lamborghini mm. around campus, but I'm sure, uh, you know, give it time. You know, Ben, one of the things that I, I think that uh, is interesting about this matchup is it seems like these teams match up strength for strength against each other very well in terms of uh, Ohio State's defense. They don't have to worry about the quarterback, you know, out sprinting their entire secondary and, you know, with that front four that, that Penn State has, they're pretty well positioned to, to give Ezekiel Elliott uh, some problems in the running game. Where do you think the game is won and lost? Um, I think it's won and lost probably on Penn State's offensive line. I think, like you said, the defense is going to, is going to be as successful as little they can be on the field. If Penn State's offense can hang on to the ball, move it a little bit and give the defense a rest. I think they have an opportunity to be competitive in this game. Um, I, I think the defense, like you said, um, is going to be able to have a front. Really, the front seven is going to be able to keep Elliott in check the best you can. I mean, I asked Jason Cabinda today, uh, Penn State's, uh, one of Penn State's linebackers, what do you do to try and you know keep Braxton Miller from being in front of you and then behind you? He's like, you just watch the hips, you track the hips, but you know there's only so much you can do, and I think that's really the thing. Uh, the Penn State has to do this weekend is they have to prevent those big plays, um, and they have to be able to keep the defense fresh. Because uh, I was looking at the numbers today, it's uh, it's not impossible to hang with Ohio State, and I think everyone's seen that this year. But they wear you down. You get to the second half, you get to the third quarter, you get to the fourth quarter, and those big plays start to pile up. And the only way you can really prevent that is if the defense is fresh, and the only way you can prevent that is if the offense has the ball, and the only way the offense can hang on to the ball is if they win that battle in the trenches. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really it's going to be a very interesting game because of the the line play. I think on both sides. I mean, you know, Ohio State's offensive line. I think a lot of people could say is underperformed this year. So it, that's definitely going to be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on for. Um, ben Jones, StateCollege.com sports editor. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your insight, and we look forward to you know seeing you on uh, on Saturday if you decide to come to the Black Saturday Banger. On uh, <laughs> on uh, at the Hamptons on King, if you'd like to join us, I think that would be very fun. You should do it. I should do it. Well, let me tell you that I am I'm covering Penn State hockey opens the season at home Friday night, covering that game, getting up in the morning, getting my rental car, driving to Columbus, covering the game, driving back home <laughs> the next morning. That sounds like a perfect opportunity so, to hang out with us and drink. Right. If, if there's any time for me to be getting into a banger, it's probably going to be three hours deep into the turnpike on my way home Sunday morning. So. <laughs> I might I might hold you up to that. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on, dude. Sure thing, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for Ben Jones and Matt Finkus for coming on and, and doing a little pre-Black Saturday podcast with myself and Michael. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for coming on, gentlemen. Michael, I have a final question for you before we get into this this final like lead up to the, the hopefully what will be one of the craziest games of the year. And I know it's sad we can't do the uh, 11 dub gate anymore. It's very sad that we can't do it because of the city of Columbus decided to enact a bunch of really stupid ordinances, in my opinion. Yeah. But I do want to relive, relive some of the good times. And we still have, by the way, before, before I forget, we still have an alternative. We're still going to have the Black Saturday banger that's Hamptons on King. Okay, It's going to be basically like all day. It starts at noon. 
So get down there, meet all the 11 Warriors guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to party. Okay, so it'll still be fun. We're, it's going to be good. We'll auction off stuff for charity. The music. Down Syndrome Chiefs. Yeah. The music it's, and it's stuff like that. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, music. Most of our staff will be there, so you can you know, you know can meet them in person and, and tell them how much better they are than that Citro guy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But here's what I want to do, Michael. Let's again. Let's relive, relive. God, I can't talk. Relive the good times. And I, I just want simply your your favorite memory from any eleven Dubgate you've attended. Uh my favorite memory from any Dubgate I've ever attended. There's there's so many. And I, what I thought was really cool though was, uh we had part of the band come out and play for us. Yes. And that was really awesome because it was like, it's like, you know, you know, the end of fast times original high when they say Spicoli blew his money, you know, getting Van Halen to play his business <laughs> yeah. party. Well, it was kind of like that. It was like, you know, the, you know, the best damn band in the land is here right in front of us. Like you could watch up and walk up and touch their trumpet. You shouldn't, but you could. And, <laughs> and uh, it was neat to see that. It was great. And also, of course, um, probably my, my, what I what I really liked the most was was my first Dubgate meeting my fellow uh, Eleven Warriors writers in person, um, and in fact I wasn't even Eleven Warriors writer yet, but I felt like I knew you guys from your writing and that kind of thing. Oh, that's right, I remember that. Yeah, I was uh, Steve uh, Vico and I were still at the uh, Our Honor Defend at the time, right. and uh, we had preliminary discussions that year. It was the year we played Nebraska. We had preliminary discussions with Jason about. Uh, Jason was trying to get us to come over. Hey, you guys should come over and join our staff. <laughs> and uh, well, it was it was fun. It was it was kind of cool to be you know wanted and that kind of thing. And and uh, yeah. as soon as um, you know as, as soon as Vico decided that uh, our honor defended run its course, you know we we both you know immediately accepted the offer. So it was really cool to meet all you guys. And then you know the last couple of years getting uh, getting the staff photo and getting everybody together in one place was really cool. And and obviously all of the the pre stuff, like the 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 night before stuff, the gold, gold pan social two years ago, oh, the yeah. the uh, the thing at, at the uh, uh, at Land Grant Brewing was a lot of fun. Right. So uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it, there's a lot of great stuff that happens on the you know the weekend that we decide to do this. Yeah. I would say my favorite memory was auctioning off a pair of, or I think maybe it was just one of Mark Titus's game worn socks. Yeah, I think that was a lot of fun. I just like all the auction items. I like, I think we had a listener back when Sarah was doing this with me. We had a listener who uh, was single and talked about it. And we tried to get her a date, uh, but she didn't show up to <laughs> one of the dub gates. So it was very upsetting because I, I tried really hard uh, to get her a date, but just it didn't work out. Oh. And I would also say I think the first dub gate that we did, which wasn't called the dub gate at the time, but the first one that we did where everyone got horribly horribly messed up the night before and I didn't uh, but everyone else did and just watching literally everyone just look like complete death for several hours and try to interact with people at the same time was truly a delight for me so uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes we've got the again the gold pants social which you guys you know we still have a few tickets left so you should definitely get on that train and then of course um, you know the Black Saturday banger at Hamptons on King so please Come out, say hi to everybody. We love saying hi to our listeners and our readers. And, yeah, we'll, it'll, it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited. Yeah, and, and we'll be back. The Dubgate will be back in some form uh, next That's right. year. We just needed a little bit more time to put it together. 
yeah, they really spring on that last minute. So this year, going to have a good time. Next year, we will also have a good time. And for me personally, I'm going to have a good time talking to you guys next week. I am Johnny Ginner. I'm Michael Citro. And we'll see you. Peace.